Welcome to The Progression Show. Today I have an exciting guest for you, Joe Saman. We call him Joe Coach because he's been a coach to well over 300 organizations with giants like Microsoft, Bank of America, Wells Fargo and the like. And he teaches these companies how to grow their top line and, te and he teaches those sales reps in those companies with his new technology of how to dominate sales. Today, in today's interview, we're gonna talk a little bit about Joe's story, but not only that, about how to go from the average eight to 12% closing salesperson who crushes it to becoming the actual top closer who's closing at 40%. Today, we're gonna to go deep into the mind of Joe Saman, where he's gonna share with you the system, a step-by-step -step framework of how you can take your business and your sales to the next level. Thank you so much for being on the show, Joe. Got it, man, glad to be here. Thank you. We're going to dive right into this. Okay. All right. You know, so take us, take me back. You know, we're in your beautiful high-rise condo here in Irvine. And take me back before all of this. Let me know who you are and how you got to here. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the short version. Let's okay. It. Because it's, it's no secret that, you know, a lot of people on the come up at whatever level you are, whatever, whatever level of gratitude you're at, there's a story. Yeah. And you know, we know that most people who are, who become successful or like myself, they want to be the first in their family, the first generation to create legacy for future generations and, and provide for future generations. We've been through something. Mm -hmm. We've been through something tough and it's usually repetitive and it's not just once. What so do you, we know what that's do you mean by that? It's not repetitive. Well, it, it sometimes is repetitive. You know, usually when you go through a tough time, it's not just once. And I don't think the tough times go away. It's just that you become better at handling them, right? Like they knock you down, yeah. but then they knock you down, but then they don't knock you really down because you anticipate challenges coming and whatnot. So let me ask you a philosophy on this now. You know, I was doing an interview with a powerful man yesterday mm -hmm. and he was sharing with me that he's in control pretty much of everything. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that you're in control of those things that knock you down? I believe that your decisions do shape your destiny, for sure. And I mean micro decisions, like small little bitty decisions that manifest themselves down the road, they accumulate. How micro? But I, I do believe how, that you- how, how micro? Micro, like- How micro? Like how small of, of a decision are you talking about? I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, yesterday I, I had spoken in front of four companies in one day. And on my way home, man, I'm just drained. I'm mentally drained, my body feels tired. And my mind is telling me, you need to rest. But I, I consciously know that if I don't go to the gym and work out, I'm not as productive the next day. Hmm. So because I'm aware of that, the, the repercussions of that, the consequences of that, I now push myself even harder than I would on a normal day at the gym just to defy the fact that my mind tried to trick me into becoming mediocre again. Wow. Get it? I get it, yeah. And then the, the, so that's a micro decision. Like that happened in like milliseconds. So that, so had you not gone, did you go to the gym? Yeah, I did. So how, had you not gone to the gym, you're telling me that essentially that could have brought you down a different path the next day. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm just using that as a, as an easy to understand example. Right, but, but even that small, <clears throat> even, even that small yeah. literally could shift your whole entire day for the next, for the following day. Yeah, well, most of the time when you have to form new habits, those decisions are happening 
at the at the snap of a finger. You know, but how do you get there? I mean, you know, you asked me, you know, I'm in a high rise right now in Orange County, California. So, you know, I was I was born and raised in Illinois in a small city called Peoria. And um, after I graduated from college, um, I moved to Chicago and I lived and worked in Chicago for two and a half years. And I got myself into a situation where I was basically, you know, constantly robbing Peter to pay Paul mm. and um, wasn't that happy there. And I think it was like early February, February 2002, I think. Yeah, February 2002, I got a phone call from my buddy who lived in California and he said, hey, what's going on, man? Like, how are you, what's going on? I'm like, good, good. I'm like, what's going on, how do you like California? And he's like, you know what, man, I love it out here. He's like, it's beautiful. He's like, everybody's making money, the girls are hot. Everything's going on. It was like the opposite of what was happening in my life. The exact opposite. So I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, and I remember waking up in the morning. Before, before we go into the next part, yeah. paint a picture of what was actually going on in, in, in uh, Illinois. So, I was so after, we can have the contrast. Yeah, at this point, I was, I was working three jobs. I was a customer service um, manager for a call center. I was, get this, I was doing personal training at night at Bally's. And... For extra money, I was teaching dance choreography to children. Wow, you was, you was hustling. And it was still paycheck to paycheck, man. Damn. And I, looked, I woke up that morning and I looked outside and it was like nine degrees outside. And I'm like, I'm broke in nine degree weather. You can be broke anywhere. Right. If you're gonna be broke here, you might as well take your broke ass over to California. Right, right. Where it's 80 <laughs> degrees outside. And so I just I flipped the switch and I made it over. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to like, you know, have the same living circumstances. So I moved out here and I basically lived out of my car for four and a half months. Wow. Um, actually, more like five months, but there were a few weeks here and there where I didn't, you know, make a friend or two and, and they let me in. Okay. So that was that. And, and I look back and be like, dude, how did you live in your car? And I'm like, man, it didn't seem like a big deal, man. It didn't seem like a big deal. I was so happy to just be out here and like wake up in the morning in my car and it'd be like 70 degrees outside. I'm like, I made it, right? I'm broke, but I feel like I made it. Right, right. And um, that, that was progression for you. Yeah, that was. That was a big deal. And um, there, were, there was definitely a few moments where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what's going on? I should move back home. But what, what sparked that? You don't think about when you leave a situation like that, that you're leaving your friends, mm -hmm. everything that you know, your family, your loved ones, and you're going into an environment where no one knows you, you have no reputation. Right. So it's an opportunity. At the same time, it's very lonely. Like there's, nobody understands you. You can't just call up a buddy and be like, hey, you wanna I'm, hang out? Yeah, I'm, or I'm struggling. Right, or anything like that. So. I mean, let, let, let's fast forward because that wasn't even, that was just occasion. So let's, let's bring it to now. What are some of your accolades that you're proud of? So that's one of them. That, that, you, that you moved here? That's one of them, yeah, that I made that overnight decision. Okay. You know, a lot of people say you just got to jump, you just got to do it. That was one of those moments where there was, the fear was eliminated. And I just jumped right into it and headed out. The next big one, the next big accomplishment I had was actually during one of the lowest points of my life. And it was moving out here and working in the mortgage business, you know, for several years, 
making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of so, dollars. So, so you, go from, <coughs> you go from those three jobs, you made that overnight decision, you moved to California, you're living in your car, how did you get the mortgage job? <laughs> okay, so you a minute. So I, I was you know, meeting random people, and I had a, a distant cousin out here, he said, somebody I want to introduce you to. And he introduced me, and he's like, you know, um, there's about you know, 12 or 13 of us working in this mortgage company. We think you should come by. We think you'd be really good at it. Like, I don't know anything about it. Like, neither do we. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't really into finance and all that stuff. Although I had several years in sales. And I went over there and um, it worked out. And, you know, that company grew to be about 600 deep. And at the pinnacle, at the pinnacle of my time there as a sales director, I decided I saw something happening that I wasn't. I wasn't okay with, and it had nothing to do with the company or, or what was happening in the economy or politics or anything like that. What was that? I noticed that no matter how many, this is where we're going to get deep, and I want the audience to really engage here, and especially if you're in any type of performance environment, this is something for them to think about and consider because we're going to go crazy right now. And so now we're going to go talk we're, about money. And we're going we're to start. We're going to go crazy a little bit. What I realized as a leader, as a young leader at the age of 28. I was thinking, how is it that we hire dozens and dozens and dozens of people, and I'm one of the people responsible for helping them to grow? I sold them on the dream, and 95% of them are struggling. Yeah, they're doing okay, but they're like up and down, up and down, up Wait, and down. Is that paychecks. part of the process? It is part of the process. However, if you're an athlete and you pride yourself with your sport and you do the same thing every day, you expect yourself to get what? Better. Better. Not to have a roller coaster ride. Can you imagine watching an athlete on TV who's like, every other game, he had good game, bad game. Good game, mm-hmm. bad game. You get it? Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, you do the same shit so every day. So you're a sales director. How many people on your team? At this point, about 80, I want to say. So you got 80 people on your team, and a portion of them is doing well, and then a portion of them is not doing well. They're yeah. doing okay. And the portion that's doing well, they're going up and down, up and down. Well, everybody was. Okay, everyone. In general, everyone everyone does. Even right now, anybody that's listening, you work on a sales floor, you have a sales team, you own a company, you, you're, you're, you get paid commission, you're an entrepreneur, you have to sell for yourself. Right. You know there's ups and downs. And what I'm saying is a stock has ups and downs, but if the company is growing, what is the pattern? It's always trending up. It's trending up, even though there's small peaks and valleys. Right. And I noticed that, that wasn't, that's not necessarily the case. Like people will come in and they'll get just used to making that same income over and over and over. So and you over find again. the problem. Now, did you find a solution as well? So there's a few problems. The first problem was that the way that we're training people had a lot to do with our personal experience. And when you're training someone based on your personal experience, you also have to consider that that means they would be inherent of your genetics, mm-hmm. your personal experiences, your intuition, your upbringing, right? And just so we're on the same page, we're talking about sales. We're talking about developing salespeople. Developing salespeople that, you're, that you, the leaders are training their subordinates to literally sell the same way that the leaders are selling. Or how they were taught. Or how they were taught to sell, okay. And that doesn't take into consideration something that, is, that can be taught to anyone. You get it? Mm-hmm. Like the last thing you want to do is take a top, somebody who's like super dynamic on the phone and has this really, really dynamic approach and have them train people. However, I found that in, in my sales career that when I walk into a new company, I find a top salesperson 
and I mimic what they're doing to mimic the results. But are you saying that's not <coughs> a process to actually do it, to actually thrive? So there's a couple of things I want to bring up. The first thing is that the top person in the company is not really the top person. What happens is, is you get somebody who performs a little better than the average Joe, so you start calling him a top producer, right? When you do that, you not only limit that person's production, but you make it seem like that person's performance is exceptional and it's tough to get there. Got it. And that's not how it should be. You shouldn't reward somebody for doing a little bit better than the average job. So is there a top salesperson in any company then? <clears throat> there would be. So what I do is I take a look at an industry conversion ratio. Most industries convert from opportunity to close from about eight to 12%. Okay. And I'm like, okay, how do we get this to 40%? Which is significant. Of course. So if you hear that, the first thing that comes across your mind is doubt. Come on, man, 40%. And so like, okay, just reverse engineer the process. So the first thing is you have to, you have to make it known to your sales team that what they've been producing is no longer acceptable with your level of experience or whatever the case may be, it should be significantly higher. How is it that you speak to, for example, 10 customers a day and close one? Mm -hmm. And you go home and you're like, I closed one. I'm like, no, dude, you, you lost, lost nine. nine. We're like, yeah, but we're practicing. I'm like, well, you're practicing and perfecting a way that scares away 90% of your business. So your, your theory and your ideology behind this is not on the percentage game. Your theory is really on honing in on this new skill set to support you in closing more deals. Right. Got it. So you can't expect people to produce more without teaching them new skills. Yeah. So another mistake that I made in leadership was that I was, I was saying, look, you've been here for two months. Your production should be here. But I was not adding much value to that person. So not only did I need to train them on exceptional skills, not just my skills, but in order to put pressure on someone, in order for it to be a respectful relationship and not boiler room, like I have to constantly be, my priority should be to develop them as a person. Gotcha. So this is great for sales leaders <coughs> and sales managers. Anybody. Really. What, you're, what you're sharing essentially is that you went from not focusing just on the problem and stating that there's a problem to your subordinates. You went also to give them a solution, which was to develop them, to give them value. So you're not going to your salespeople like, dude, you've been here for two months and you suck in sales. What's going on? You went from, you've been here for two months, there's something going on, there's a challenge. Let me see how I can support you and give you value so you can grow. Yeah, so it wouldn't even go that far. But you know, when we talk about sales skills, you have to remember there's a lot of sales training out there. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good ones too. There's a lot of good ones. In my personal opinion, the majority of them are outdated. So people are like, yeah, I train my people, I train my people. But the thing is, is that trainer is not a student. They need to keep being a student. I'll give you an example. If you met somebody who helped design an iPhone 10 years ago, and they are only familiar with that technology, would you hire them to build a new iPhone? No. No. So communication is the new technology because behavior is changing faster than it ever did before. Right. I call it economic velocity. Okay. So if you're not 
changing or improving your communication skills at the same rate of which behavior is changing and buying decisions are changing, etc., patterns, then your skills are probably outdated too. What is the determining factor that causes someone to go from eight to 12 to, or eight or 12 <laughs> to 40? What was the determining factor that allowed that spike to happen? It was the communication skills. Between the salesperson and who? They were more athletic between the salesperson and the customer. Between the salesperson and the customer? Yeah, they're and, much more effective with their customer. And then, so now you're training these people. That's what you do for a living now. Right. And so what are you training them on to be able to have these type of results? To, to go from 8% and being okay with mm -hmm. it, which is normal, or, or even 12% and say, yo, I'm 4% higher than the average, right. I'm top to 40%. You're definitely changing the norm. Yeah. So to be fair, it's not like this thing happens overnight. It's work in progress. And sometimes it can take us from three to six months to really make a massive change in a company and in their belief systems. But you can't just change somebody's belief systems. You have to give them substance in order for it to change sometimes. Not everybody out there is going to be that Elon Musk, right? Like, right. oh, I have a vision. I'm just going after it. And if you want to scale your business, like I have a responsibility to develop people, I start with their skills. And when I started doing that, I started to realize that even the way that I train people is not advancing them much more than they're already at. Like mm -hmm. a couple percent, five, ten percent. That's nothing really to hang to out. To this day or prior when you were <coughs> When I first started. Okay. When I first started coaching people, I realized, hey, there's something here. How is it now that I'm, I'm seeing all these dozens of companies, how is it that all these customers call and they'll have similar problems and we have a solution and then they say no. All right, then. So now here's what I want to know then. What's the step-by-step -step framework to go from that eight to 40? I'll give you an example. So if you go shopping at the store and you, you know, there's thousands of sales agents in, yeah. in the stores, right? In the malls. And you'll notice this right away. Like next time you guys go to the mall and go shopping, now you're gonna notice this. All my students notice this. Is that everybody greets you the same way and has the same patterns. So they'll say things like, how's your day going? Can I help you find anything? Are you looking for anything in particular? Can I help you find a certain size, right? And then they'll use patterns like, all of our new items are over here, all of our sale items are over there, and my name is Joe, if I can help you. Just let me know. So they kind of remove themselves from the situation. <laughs> and they even do like physical things that are like very salesy. You get it? My name is Joe. I mean, so. So are you telling people not to do that? Well, what I'm saying is be aware of the patterns in your industry. Okay. Because once a customer hears that, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And by the way, these days, how much more are we being sold than we were just 10 years ago? Right. hundred times more. Right. A week. So people are adapting to sales patterns quicker. So if you're training your people the way everybody trains them in the industry, chances are your sales training is outdated and you need to start rethinking the words and the language that you use with your customers. You get it? Mm -hmm. So if that's happening, just that little silly example that happens in retail, and studies show that over 88% of the time, the customer's response to that, even though the customer is there to shop, clearly the customer's there to shop, the customer's response is, no thanks, I'm just looking. looking. So they're not actually engaging the customer because those patterns are so recognized as commission-paid salespeople that now all the customer hears is, are you going to buy anything from me? Right. 
That's all they hear. So what is the new word track to use? So, so, so if I have, a, if I have so, you know, right. a salesperson that's doing retail, my store, my story stems from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I own retail outlets, retail stores, true. and cell phone stores. So, and that is true. That is how my sales exactly. guys would, would approach people. Right. It's great. What can I help you with today? How can I help you? How can uh, I make money on you today? At, yeah. So what would be the new word track <coughs> for a salesperson to use? I'll give you, I'll to, give you a few. So first of all, let's understand the fundamental that we don't want to communicate with people as if they're a transaction. Okay. We want to communicate with a person as if we're interested in them okay. as a person. So imagine somebody walks into your store. If you, were, if you were interested in them as a person, you would say, hi, how can I help you? You would say, hey, my name is Joe. Nice to meet you. Right. You get it? Yeah. I've never met you before. So Is this your first so, time here? So you're, you're, you're essentially saying <coughs> that remove the transactional, create a relationship. There you go. The same way that you would meet someone at a club or at a bar or, right. or at a and, restaurant. And different industries is different, right? Because there's, there's some very high-level sales where that rapport is not appropriate right away. There are well, other give steps. Give me an example where that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, so let's say you know, I'm selling a $20,000 software. Mm-hmm. And I'm calling and I got the decision maker on the phone. He's not going to want to hear, how's your day going? Let me get right. to know you. Right, right. Let's right. chill. Get straight to the point. You get that. it? Yeah. You're be like, why are you calling? So then we use purpose-driven openings. Okay. Right? The reason I'm calling is because of this. Here's what I'm going to talk to you about. And by the end of the conversation, we'll know whether or not you're a good fit. Clear. You get it? Got it. The other thing you have to keep in mind is that your customers, people in general, are not expert decision makers. Hmm. So everybody is presenting options and presenting benefits and presenting features and right shiny things, <clears throat> and then asking the customer for business. Got it. You cannot be in a domination selling mindset and ask the customer to make the decision. What do you do? Are you leading? You explain the decision to the customer and you ask them if they understand. Got it. Get it? Mm-hmm. This is the right product for you because A, B, C, D, four, five, six, right? Do you understand why? Yes. Cool. Come with me. Okay. Instead of just standing there, though. So. Now, in your training, is this something you want to do? So, so I read on your bio <coughs> that you're training. You've trained over 300 companies. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. What, what is that you're doing for these companies? It's a very similar process for all of them. You know, everybody thinks that their company's so unique. You know, like, oh, our company's unique, or we market differently, or we're a little bit different, Joe, right? And I hear that over and over and over, and I'm thinking, come on, man, you're not that different. So it's a very similar process because human behavior is very much the same, and consumer behavior is very much the same. So once you understand the, the, the details of the product and the process, you can use the same psychology for many different industries, give or take the differences that we spoke about, right? So the first step is to make the sales team aware that of what they're not aware of. I call it the awakening. So I, I tell them, I share these stories with them, and I'm like, do you guys understand that your income is up and down? They go, yes, I'm frustrated with that. And I go, have and you ever- And these are commission, commission sales? Mostly all are commission-based because that's when you're being in the coach, right? Right. Company spends money on marketing. If they don't convert that marketing into revenue, it's a loss. Right. So it makes sense to invest in the performance of your people. And, uh, First thing we do is eliminate industry patterns. Okay. Get rid of the industry patterns. What do people normally say in your industry, except for the questions you really, really have to ask, even those you can reword? Get rid of the industry patterns and create a more meaningful conversation with the customer. Right? Then there's other types of psychology, like a progression, like your show, right? You want to have a progression with your customer. 
which means don't discuss things freestyling out of order. Start with the basics, go to mid-level, go to high-level, and then go to super intimate. Okay. Treat it like a, treat it like a proper date, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to start going after trying to convince the customer of how they need to do something a few minutes into it. Got it, right. You with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Like, first of all, get to know everything you need to know about your customer. And by the way, there's a lot of rules in selling in the new economy. One of the rules I created is, in the new economy, your customer does not want the feeling of being sold anymore. It's no longer enjoyable. What they want is to be understood and to understand. Hmm. First, to be understood, and then to understand what you recommend or what you're telling them to do, instead of preaching your product. Got it. Almost every company I've been to, they have great product training. They have horrible people training. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and this, you know, this, this, this is good. I hope as you're watching this that you're completely taking notes. Like this is one of those interviews that you take your note. <laughs> this is Sorry. one of the interviews that you take your notepad out and you take notes because the way that I'm going to structure this interview is really to support salespeople and sales professionals to grow their sales and take their business to the next level. Right. Many levels up. Hopefully. Many levels. This is all about progression, baby. <laughs> yeah. The, the whole idea of domination selling, you know, when I created, you know, what am I teaching people to do here? Because some of it is so disruptive of what I teach that not only do I not expect people to, you know, learn it overnight. Well, some of them do. It's amazing. Some of them do. It's not complicated. It's just language patterns and you make an adjustment. Really, the only thing that keeps you from learning fast is your own ego. Really. Would you, would you, now there's so many different types of selling. You have, and, and it's typically backed by someone who has studied sales and then created a new <laughs> form of selling. Mm -hmm. You have Grant Cardone's form of selling. Mm -hmm. You got Jordan Belfort's. You have uh, the, the, the Zig Ziglar form of selling. You have consul consultation selling, yep. relationship selling. What, which form of selling would you say, and I, and I don't, of course you can be biased, mm -hmm. but which form of selling would you say produces the best results for the average person? The type of sales training that is not based on the experience of the trainer, but the understanding of modern psychology. Got it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, do I love all those people? Yeah. They've done some great things. They teach some good skills. And I'm a big fan of, I shouldn't be your only mentor. Grant preaches the opposite. You only need one mentor. And I'm like, man, come on. I mean, I respect, let me just finish that point. Okay. I'm like, I respect you for that. <clears throat> but at the same time, I can't believe that myself, one man, would have all of the information necessary for you to be successful, even on sales training. But the way I differentiate myself is thinking 10 steps ahead of the competition. Meaning, if my competition sells a certain way, I may observe and I may choose certain qualities, but I know that give it enough time, that's gonna become a sales pattern and customers are gonna become resistant to it. Right. So how do I dominate the game? The way I dominate the game is I recreate the way we communicate with our customers. I recreate the questions that we ask. Would you agree? Right. That's a sales question. But that's what Would you agree? About. Would you agree? It's a sales question. It's a tie down. Right? It's a tie down. See how you know that? Mm -hmm. Which means you learned it where? Wherever I, I don't even know where I where learned it. Where have you learned it? And where did they learn it? 
Yeah, it goes back. So it's it outdated. Back. You're saying it it's back. outdated. It goes back. So come on, doc. You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> your granddaddy's sales skills might not be so hot anymore. Now, here's the thing. People say it works. It works for me. Bro, you have a 15% closing ratio. You're only counting the deals that you close. You're saying it works. What you're doing is you're perfecting something that fails 80, 80% of the time. And because you've memorized it and get this, and now you're confident saying it, you are confusing confidence for conversion. Gotcha. Because it sounds good. You know your song, but it's not selling records. So the first step is awareness. Mm -hmm. The second step is changing the sales patterns. Right. The, the, the verbiage that comes out of the people's <coughs> sure. mouth. Especially industry language. Industry language. Whatever your industry language is. Then what's the third? The third one is to write really, really good questions. Questions that get your customer to explain things that they would not have explained to another sales agent. First, customers want to be what? Understood. And then understand. And in some industries, by the way, these questions can be extremely uncomfortable. Give but, me an example of an uncomfortable question. Um, I'll give me an example. Let's say somebody's in the mortgage business or something, right? And this person is calling and they're asking for, um, you know, they want to take cash out on their property. Or they want a lower payment or something like that. And you're looking at this person and you're like, man, you've got all this credit card debt. Like, what? instead of just taking cash out or lowering your payment, why don't you pay off your credit cards? But the person, no, I don't want to pay off my credit cards. So <clears throat> it's not that the person has a problem with credit cards. The person has a problem with cash flow. And so I may have to ask them, how long has it been since you've been able to properly save? Got it. So you're, you're saying that you're, you as a sales professional is understanding the customer deeper than the words that's coming out of their mouth. Sure. So instead of going through a list of questions, basically, we'll spend... We're never done scripting. And is this part of your, you being 10 steps ahead? Of course. So, so you're even 10 steps ahead of your customer. Of course. So this domination sales is not just about the verbiage. It's also about you, the understanding the customer so deeply that you understand that their problem, what their problems are. By the time, I always recommend doing at least 7 to 12 questions. And the reason I say 7 to 12 questions is because you're going to need at least 4 to 5 strong reasons to compel your customer to move forward. But after those questions, the depth of your questions should have the, or, the, the, create the organic commitment from your customer. There shouldn't be, this customer should not feel sold. Can you lose rapport by going, so, by going straight for the gut and saying how long has it been since you haven't been able to save versus are you having trouble saving? So remember I talked about the progression before. So if I just ask you that straight blunt, you might be like, why, why does that matter? Yeah. I'm just calling you for a loan. Yeah. Okay. But if I put it in, if I put it in the right spot of the date, now it becomes more appropriate. So this, that question that goes straight for the juggler is later on. This is a third level It may question. be my 13th question. Got it. Okay. And I'm building up. I start with the basics. Then I go to the moderate. Then I go to the intimate. So you go from, you go from open and general in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So essentially your sales style is open in general in the beginning, and then as you get closer and asking more questions and you go up different levels, you can go and assume. You're trying to turn this into a sales training today, huh? I'm, I'm really understanding. We're gonna have to sell this uh, podcast. Hey man, <laughs> let's make some money on this. But I'm really understanding that mm -hmm. you know, your ideology behind the way that you can get somebody to go from 8% to 40%. Mm -hmm. Like I'm breaking this shit down. Yeah. Like if you check out some of my videos, there's plenty of people going, 
I doubled my income, then I tripled my income, I almost quadrupled my income. It makes, it makes, a, it makes perfect sense. Right. It makes a lot but of how sense. How has this man been in sales for 20 years? Mm-hmm. And just now that's happened. There must yeah. be a reason. It's because he's been awakened. Yeah. He's been awakened. Because the, the psychology of the human mind is you're essentially bringing, you're, separate, you're not separating the two between sales professional and just relationship. You're merging the two together. So we, we, we have to be careful how we use that word relationship. <clears throat> because in many industries, the word relationship is probably not appropriate hmm. because this person may never talk to you again. Okay. You get it? Or they may talk to you once every few years. It's not like a local business where people come and go and you see the same faces, etc. Or a real estate agent, a relationship is really, really important because you're constantly interacting with your client. And then they're probably local to you as well, so you maintain, you invite them, they go to events, you hang out, you get to know the you get it? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what we're really doing is improving the quality of our communication, not necessarily focusing on relationship. And by the way, rapport, building rapport is no longer a significant sales skill. It's important and it should be organically incorporated into your call. But how generic is it when someone calls you and they're like, oh, you're in Alabama, yeah. Oh God, how's the weather out there, right? Yeah, you get it's, it? been, it's been pretty normal now. It's, 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 it's like, dude, you know, now the customer's going, mm-hmm, so how can I help you? So, you know, this brings me back to what we were discussing earlier when you, when, when you told me about that individual who told you that you're better than the person that is <laughs> dominating the sales space now. Yeah. Now, do you believe in the, the, the mindset of doing more activities, growing more activities in order to produce that 40%? What do you mean by activities? Growing, doing more than normal. So the person that typically does eight sales calls a day or 15 sales calls a day, doubling that. I think that part of the work ethic is important. Okay. I'm not a big fan anymore of work hard, work hard, work hard in sales. Although I know that's important. I want people to put in the time and we should have parameters and standards according to what they should be doing during the day. I'm more interested in getting to be people to be more productive with fewer leads. Got it. Make sense? Yeah. Now I can decrease the cost per acquisition for the company and I can dramatically improve the confidence of the sales agent. Got it. Because if you have to talk to 12 people to close one, it's not really doing much for you. Well, because other people's sales, there are other people's sales trainings where it's <coughs> really focused on just getting a percentage. Mm-hmm. You throw the spaghetti at the wall, something's gonna stick. What that basically says is forget about skills. Yes, forget about skills, just now, do the numbers. That's the most expensive mistake a company and an individual can make. Because now I'm building a culture where in order to get the sales that I need, what am I gonna have to do to my marketing budget? Increase it. I have to increase it. Now I'm creating a culture that only does well when it's super expensive to do business. Gotcha. So in retrospect, instead, you know, for example, people are like, oh, my top producer, my top producer is this guy. I'm like, why is he, let me, let me, why is he a top producer? Oh, he did, X number of sales. I'm like, what's his conversion ratio? Like, uh, I don't know. He pounded the phone. So that guy over there is the top producer and he doesn't know it. You need to go tell him you have an amazing conversion ratio. If you did two or three more of those a day, you would dominate everybody. 
person that we were just talking about doesn't believe in conversion ratios. So there's a difference in, in your idea mm -hmm. of sales versus theirs. Now let me ask you, what about body language? How important is body language in your yeah. strategy of sales? Let me transition that to conversion is king. People get burnt out when they're on the phones all day long and they don't sell anything. Mm -hmm. They can put out a lot. You, they can work as hard as you want. You walk away on Friday and you don't have a juicy paycheck, it's called burnout. You get it? Mm -hmm. You can put in the same amount of energy and if you got money in your paycheck, it's called success. Same amount of energy. Burnout only comes when you're frustrated with yourself. Right? When you're making progress, you really don't burn out. I believe conversion is king, and I also believe work ethic and hitting the numbers is important too. So couple that together. Right. Now let's talk about that body language. You know, it's it's yeah. that it's that, you know, mimic, mimic the person. Mm -hmm. You know, they move their arm a certain way. Yeah. Their, their, tonal, their tonality, <laughs> mimic their tonality, sure. so on and so forth. So that's mediocre bullshit. Okay. <clears throat> mimic your customer. Man, I want my customer to mimic me. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be aggressive or do something that's unorthodox or disrespectful. But this whole concept of mimic your customer is designed around the whole matrix of mediocrity. Hmm. People have become okay with using skills that give us reasonable results. If you wanna be in a domination mindset, you're thinking about how can I manipulate or influence my customers, uh, 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 what's the word for it? Decision making. Not just decision making, but their body language, their their triggers and so forth. How can I create that environment? How, could, how do I lead the conversation through body language in order to get to the result that I want? I always say, begin with the close in mind. Everything should be with the close in mind. Every question, every transition, every statement you make should be with the close in mind. And I understand there's also gonna be some fun moments and some rapport building moments and some sincere moments and some empathetic moments and compassion as well. We need all those natural things to exist in a call. <clears throat> but you want to find out how to condition your customer's behavior, not to react to your customer's behavior. Gotcha. So here's, here's what I noticed. And um, so this, this, is, this is great. This is like really deep. This is, some, this is an interview that I would watch, like I would listen to this like me doing Audible. So I think yeah. that we're bringing a tremendous amount of value yeah, me too, man. To, the, to the audience because yeah. <clears throat> So many salespeople are just trying to go to the next level right. and they're trying to find you know, that one little thing. Sure, I mean, you know, there's, there's people out there right now that are like, dude, what, you know, when, I would, when I would attend sales training events and motivational seminars, I often felt like, yeah, I'm super pumped up. Like, I love what he said, but now what do I say to my customer? Yeah. Like, what's the actual words that I say? So that part is important too. Obviously, we can't cover that for everybody in, in, your, in your show. But what we can do is we can wake them up and they can begin to work on these projects on their own as well. So here's what I did notice. When I walked into, so when I first walked into this building to connect with you, mm -hmm. I, I came in with high energy, mm -hmm. and then, but you didn't have the high energy. Mm -hmm. you, were, you were very monotone, you're very monotone. No, and I, was that? When I met you? Yeah, when we went downstairs mm -hmm. and throughout this experience of us getting, coming down to this interview. So then what happened to me subconsciously is I became monotone. Mm -hmm. So then I recognized that. And I, I, I was like, okay, I see what happened. I became monotone. I matched you. 
Not Naturally. monotone, but maybe more, a little bit more like calm, mellow. Very calm. Yeah, calm, mellow. calm, mellow. You know, why do you think that happened? So let's talk about the high energy thing, right? Because a lot of we were told in sales or in meeting people many times, be high energy, be enthusiastic. Hi, Mr. Jones. It's Joe calling from so and so. Yeah, you get it. That's a sales pattern. What do you want, man? What do you want from? Why are you so? You get it? Mm-hmm. If you're helping somebody to make a decision, or doing something sincere for them. You don't need to have, you don't need to outdo them, or outscream them, or outenergy them. It's more important that you understand them than anything else. You get it? Gotcha. Especially if it's a high ticket decision. So now you were talking about influencing. So mm-hmm. I did, I would say, a, a test. Okay. <clears throat> I recognized that I lowered my my tone and it became a little bit more mellow. Mm-hmm. So when we sat down. I had my arm open and I put my hand between my legs mm-hmm. and I was just relaxed. What I recognize in you is that you slowly but surely did the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. So if you look at your body language, it's doing the same thing. Right. Now, is that natural for you to do that or what, what, do, you th- what do you think that you did that? So the way I understand it, because I read about these things, it's very interesting to me, obviously being a sales coach and, and focus on these things. It's not necessarily you know, a huge factor for me. But what we do sometimes is we want to make the other person comfortable with us, mm-hmm. and so then we mimic them. <clears throat> We're having a casual conversation, so there's a natural side to it. But if I'm thinking, how do I design language, body language, questions with my clothes in mind? Now I may I may intentionally change my body language, knowing that that's the response I need, the positioning I need, or the 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 mindset that I need in order to go into my clothes. So when, when, you, when you do this, does that mean that you're about to take action on something? So like you're going into the clothes? Not necessarily. Okay. It might mean when people lean in, usually they're very interested. Yeah. They're very interested in something. You get it? Yeah. And they'll squint and things like that. But I want you to know that very, very little of my training is about body language. Very little. Very little, I would say like 5%. So is the, the majority of your training really on the verbiage? It's on communication, verbiage, written, email, text, all of the above, all the things that we need these days in order to be effective with our customers, to send the right message. It's about recreating the client experience so the client feels like they've had a meaningful conversation with you and that you're not just, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, you're sold on the fact that your product is the best thing for them. Like, how can that be, man? I, you know, I was, I was at a spa recently doing some, um, uh, what is it called? Um, some kind of resurfacing thing that's supposed to like make your skin you know, more like youthful, exfoliation? like a laser or something like that. Okay. And she was so adamant about convincing me on how this laser is the best laser out of all the lasers. And I told her, I said, "Hun, I'm like, there's a lot of people out there doing this and there's all these different lasers. So how can it be possible in 2019 that there's all these lasers out there and they're all not good, only yours is good? Like, don't you find that to be a little bit awkward? Yeah, but they're, they're not targeting you. Huh? They're not targeting you. They're not targeting with someone with your mindset. Well, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Her telling me that mm-hmm. makes me question her product. Got it. Anything you overemphasize becomes questionable. So by her saying, mine is the best, we are the best, it actually triggers a person to go shop. Gotcha. You with me? Mm-hmm. That's why it's important. So I'm happy to hear about the product, but they're focusing on the product, not the customer. Hmm. The 
customer needs to be the center of attention. So they, they didn't focus on your needs. Is that what they were missing? So yeah, for example, instead of me, you know, trying to reinforce the sale by telling me how great the product is, instead, don't talk about your product. Ask at least seven to 12 questions from your customer and say, look, I want to get to know you. I want to help make sure that this is the right thing for you. And if it's the right thing for you, I'll let you know. Now, these questions, are they considered qualifying questions? Not necessarily. You know, qualifying questions often have to do with, is this person, is this the right audience? Mm -hmm. It's an elimination question. Okay. And I, I don't like to dance around, you know, these are qualifying questions because what sales agents will do is they'll start to justify that the person isn't qualified when they are. Gotcha. Qualif qualified questions should be questions that are no go. It's done. Right? You need to let the person know that you're not a candidate for this or this is not the right time for you or you're not qualified, whatever the case may be. But people tend to treat a lot of questions as qualified questions. This has nothing to do with that. <clears throat> Our questions are probing questions. Hmm. They're getting to understand the circumstances of my customer, the needs of my customer, the past decisions of my customer, right? And the future potential of my customer in the customer's context. I'm not going to assume the customer's answer, right? Yeah. Well, I'm assuming that you want this because, you know, in the future it'll help you do this, and in the future your family will be able to do that, and this will save you money on this. Instead, I would want to ask it in a question. So that's powerful. So where you took us in the last few minutes is really on understanding the verbiage of domination sales and how important verbiage is, and that we're building, essentially, we're essentially building relationships and not creating transactional uh, relationships by the words that we use. True. Now, Let's, let's step out of the sales process and let mm -hmm. me get a deeper dive into you, Joe, about what prerequisites or even habits or routines that you have that support you in the sales process. So you're, you're, talk about your foundation because you did talk about going to the gym. Yeah, you mean in business in general? In life. Yeah. You, even, even the gym. It's food, sleep. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. And, and, and you know what I want to talk about? Because <laughs> who, who I believe would probably listen to this this far in are men, so even sex. I can't help you in that category, man. It's been lonely lately. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> so let me get into it, because it's really important. And you know, Sam and a lot of the other guys, they're really up on this too. They understand this. Ed Milet, all these guys understand how important certain things are. And it's true. You know, success leaves clues. Yeah. And all these people running around like, how do I do this? How do I do that? I'm like, come on, man. It's the information age, man. <laughs> like, it's just look at a successful person that you admire and practice trying to do what they do. And what is it that you do? <clears throat> so a couple of things. For me, working out is a big one, at least three to four days a week. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because if you understand how the body works and how the brain works, neurological activity increases when you're physically active. Not only that, but there's, we now know that there's something called neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is basically your brain growing its bandwidth, its ability to think and solve problems and be creative, it can grow. We didn't know that before. We thought that it was fixated yeah. to a certain level. But you can do that now. And when you work out, it helps to increase the probability of neuroplasticity. Hmm. That makes sense? <clears throat> then you have the metabolism, the energy levels, um, you know, your diet, et cetera, et cetera. You want to maintain consistent energy levels. It's so funny, I was at an office the other day and they ordered pizza for the office. Pretty common, right? We're ordering pizza. 
I'm like, man, no wonder your fucking sales drop after 2 p.m. Gotcha, the carbs make them tired. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? Don't do that. The guy goes, man, you just, you're messing with me now. So I went in the next week and live salads for everyone. Ah, yeah, I love it. And they're like, what is this? They're like, fucking Joe, man, look what you did, man. I love it. Can't even get pizza now because of you. And I told him, um, I went up to a guy's desk and he had a, he had a chicken bowl. Chicken bowl, it's like all this brown rice in there, right? I like brown rice, I eat brown rice, right? I, I know when I eat my carbs. And I went up to his desk and we made a pact that I would call him out whenever I saw him slipping. And I went up to his desk and I looked at him, I'm like, what is this? He goes, it's healthy. It's a chicken bowl. And I just swatted it right off his desk onto the floor. I'm like, no, it's not, man. Are you in a domination mindset or not? What are you doing, you know, all those damn carbs while you're trying to perform? You know what I mean? So, so, <laughs> so carbs, I mean, this is, this is really deep because right now someone's watching this probably eating a slice of pizza like, like fuck, I'm about to damn. do a sales presentation right now, right? now right? 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 So carbs is a no-go when, in, when you're looking to perform in domination status. Smartly. Okay. I like fruits, berries particularly. I'll have those, you know, throughout the day sometimes. Proteins, really important. Snacks, almond butter, right? Nuts, um, you know, lean meats, fish, chicken having, um, you know, hard-boiled eggs, things like that. Keep your body going. Now, all right, let's talk about sleep and your domination <laughs> system. So this is a system that you have mm -hmm. to really dominate in sales. Right. So let's talk about sleep. What is the best, the best length of sleep? Man, that's a beautiful topic right now because, as you know, I, was, I got food poisoning last night. Yeah. And I didn't get very good sleep. And it really makes an impact on you. So we, we now know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, people think, you know, I'm some know-it-all. Like I've mentored over 300 companies and you know, I've helped so many, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to double their income and whatnot, triple their income sustainably. I'm not talking about just like one or two testimonials. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds. And we now know that not only is sleep, poor quality of sleep, the number one cause for accelerated aging. But it also, if you don't sleep well, it also contributes to your ability to think, react, perform, be on the spot. And if you don't know the difference, then you don't know the difference. Hmm. So people tell me, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. I'm like, man, I sleep well. Like, why can't you sleep? Oh, I have to do this in order to sleep, or I have to have a drink, or I gotta smoke something to sleep. Right? I'm like, man, you don't have a sleeping problem, you got a planning problem. You got a planning problem. You need to know how to plan your day in order to get your body tired at a certain time and wake up at a certain time. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, let me guess. When you go to bed, you're probably staring at the TV. You're on your phone for 30 minutes. Or you just ate. Did you drink a cup of coffee at 5 o'clock? You, know, you know what I'm saying? All these weird things that trigger your mind to stay awake. Yeah. And then you tell me you have a sleeping problem. The other thing is if you're not physically fit, most people who do not work out have sleeping problems. Why is that? Why do you think that is? I don't. It's because you're sleeping is recovery, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're working out, you're creating some level of cellular damage to your body. Right. Well, your body now, as amazing as our God-created bodies are, your body now has a need to rest even more. So it's going to call upon its systems to go to sleep. So even the workout supports to go to sleep. Workouts helps. Yeah, of course. How many hours? Working out? No, no. How many hours of sleep for 
for so your this domination is, this is system. Like, everybody has their own their own beliefs on this, right? But you have a you have a system. Some people are like, dude, all I need is four hours. And there is a such thing as getting quality sleep versus long periods of sleep. Long periods of sleep don't necessarily mean that you're getting quality sleep. There's lots of information out there on that. <laughs> you guys can check it out. But for me, it's about six to seven hours. Six to seven hours of sleep. Yeah, and if I know I'm completely drained or I've you know done something to really push the limits at work or in the gym both, then I'll go to eight hours if I need it. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I'll okay. go sleep earlier. Sex. What do you want to know about it? What's how to sp- do it? No, not how to, <laughs> not how to do it, but to create the best performance in domination. This is an, this you see this is an area I'm I'm not an expert in what is that what does you know your sex life have to do with your energy levels and your performance and whatnot? Does it? That's a question, really. Where I think what's from. more important than sex is progress. Yeah, I'm sure there's some chemistry in there mm-hmm. that you're like, hey, you know, I just got done, you know, hitting it. Yeah, yeah. My girl or whatever. And you get out there and you're feeling good. That glow, if you want, that, that flow. But I think what's more important to help performance levels and, and sustain is progress. Whether it's progress in your relationship, could be progress in, in your intimacy with your partner, might be progress at work, progress in your paycheck, progress in your health. Hmm, got it. So, so you're saying what could support in performance growth going from that eight. I'm really trying to understand mm-hmm. that 8% mindset and what the person that's doing with 8% and what's the difference between what the person that's doing that's 40? It can't just be the right. verbiage pattern. Sure. It can't just be that. That has to be something more, and it has to go deeper. So there has to be something that you're doing here at right. home, you know, how you're cooking, how you're sleeping, <laughs> that allows you to go from 8% to Okay, to so 40. I'm going to drop a big one on you guys right now. So we know that just by training people these skills, they're not going to take, they're not going to double and triple their income. Right. Well, very few of them will. Very few of them will, will have already something going on in their life that creates the hunger. I have to do it. I must do it. So because we're not conditioned that way from childhood, we're basically taught, you know, a lot of mediocre things along the way. We're taught to memorize things instead of think. Mm -hmm. We're taught to solve math problems instead of real problems. Get it? Mm -hmm. So that we can have a do as you're told, report to work type of mindset. And that's a whole other conversation. But in every company I go to, and this is important for our audience out there who are team players or they're a sales professional or they manage, they lead, they own a company. We have to create systems for accountability, of course. Any successful company is gonna tell you that. As I say, I tell sales agents, I'm going to have to pressure you into reaching your capabilities. But once you're there for several months, now I don't have to. Because you won't wanna go back, you would have had an identity shift. Right. You are now a different person. But I'm gonna pressure you. And I don't mean pressure you, but micromanage you. And I don't mean pressure you by hurt you or insult you or disrespect you or make an example out of you. That's old school. Those days are gone. You cannot grow a healthy sales floor by treating somebody like a scene out of the movie Boiler Room. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love the movie. That's not how it goes right now. So we create systems. First, it's to get the person to understand that no matter how many leads I give you, no matter how many customers I give you, you're probably going to produce just enough to pay your bills. What are your bills? Twenty eight hundred. So if you make thirty five hundred, you're good. Do you understand that? Got it. Yep. I call it the budget trap. You're in the budget trap. You're like, as long as I make this, I'm good. So now that's holding you back. So I'm like, we got to get you out of that. 
So I'm going to have to pressure you to get past that point because you probably won't do it on your own. How am I going to do that? First, I'm going to teach you the skills out of respect. And I'm going to teach you the psychology of the skills. And I'm going to give you the choice to use them. If you understand them, you'll use them. If you don't understand it, you won't use it. You'll go back to your old ways. Then I'm going to measure and monitor what you do on a daily basis. Not me. Usually it's a computer system or you know, a sales manager or director that's doing check-ins. I'm going to set your parameters really, really, really high. And then we're going to do everything it takes to get there and we're going to measure you on a daily basis. <clears throat> so you get to the measurement part. The other thing that people really don't do is they don't monitor. If you're an athlete and you lose a game, what do you do afterwards? <clears throat> you, you go back and you figure out what you did wrong. You review the tape. You know how many times people talk to sales, to customers, and they don't reflect on what they just did? Very lot. I would say sales lot. agents are communication athletes. And they play, 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 and hardly ever practice. You cannot make massive progress learning from experience. Experience is something we've always uh, uh, prided ourselves with. It is the slowest freaking way to learn. So you make, you make massive progress through review? Through review, through practice, through study, accelerated learning. Okay. Which is, by the way, that whole topic of accelerated learning is why the middle class is struggling right now. Because the way we were taught to learn is too slow for the economy that we now live in. Gotcha. Wow. That's deep. That's really, wow, that's really deep. That's really deep. Yeah. Our intellectual, I call it intellectual velocity, is too slow. You get it? Like ever since we were kids, people give us a topic and they give us nine months to learn it. And then you go to the same topic for another nine months, 12 months. Social studies, nine months. Dude, can you teach me to learn any slower? Hmm. So, that, I mean, you have, you have like your, your intellectual knowledge is, is really deep. I don't know if you just sit down in your bed and you just, you just think about this whole master plan or, or, or whatever it is. <coughs> you know, what I, what I really want to understand mm -hmm. now is when we, look, when we talk about progress, it's about forward movement. So in order to have forward movement, we need to have a destination, and our destination comes in goals. Mm -hmm. How do you write down your goals, or how do you understand where you're going? It's, you know, it's, it's such an interesting topic that everybody touches on, but it's such a simple thing. And a lot of our mutual friends and a lot of the men out there that I admire and women that I admire do the same thing. And it's constantly writing them down. How often do you? Like, what is your system? You know, the ideal answer would be, oh, I do it every day. Andy? But is that true? <clears throat> it's not true. I don't remember to do it, or I get in a rush, or other things may take priority. But what I, what I do is I leave that book. I have one right here on my desk, and I have another one in my room. And just by having it there reminds me, you haven't done it today, or it's been two days. You need to open it up, and you need to reaffirm yourself. And the, and the process that you do that you is? You lost. You forget why you began. Can I share a story with you? Please. You said I have all these, you know, deep intellectual realizations that I've made. These innovations that, you know, through my own efforts and through blessings from the big man, I've been able to manifest and create and share with people. But it didn't happen because I was infatuated with sales. It happened because I was tired of the feeling of promising myself and my family that I was gonna be massively successful and not being there. Why is it, for everybody out there right now, 
I'm gonna drop some, some things for you to consider. If you have to interview, you're not a top producer. You get it? So <clears throat> I told myself, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to learn everything. How is it? If that, you have to interview, you're not, a, you're not a top producer. If you have to go on a job interview. Gotcha, okay. To get a job, you're not a top producer. Okay. You may have been, I was, mm -hmm. at one point. A top producer is not something you did. It's a person you are. Gotcha. Regardless, whatever circumstances I throw you in, you'll be, you'll be a top producer. Mindset. You may have some ups and downs, but I won't worry about you. Because I understand that you will do whatever it is that I'm sharing with you and then some. And so you get there. But I had that moment <clears throat> about, I had already started coaching and the recession hit. And, uh, you know, I'm 28, 29 years old, I think. And I'm like, I got this all figured out, man. I'm crushing it. These companies are paying me like 10 to 15 grand each to train their people a few hours a week. They're doing it. They're loving it. And then the economy shifted and all my business disappeared Damn. and I went broke again. And I'm like, wait a minute, are you ready for this? I'm like, <clears throat> if the economy is worse and companies need to make more money, shouldn't they be investing more in training, not less? And if that's the case, then why isn't my phone blowing up? What's the obvious answer? Because you're not that good. You're not so good that people want you. You're not so good that it's unquestionable. You're not so good that your reputation speaks for itself. And I went broke again, except it's a little bit more embarrassing around the age of 30. And I'm like, this is it. I cannot handle this. People talking, turning their back on me, right? Family questioning you, friends disappearing, people talking shit. I'm like, I cannot handle this. How is it that I've been in this sales career, if you want to call it that, for 10 to 15 years, and a recession slows me down? If my skills are good, who would want me? Everyone. Everyone. You get it? Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's it, man. I'm going to become, my ego is gone. It is done. There is something out there, there's information out there that I do not know about. My peers don't know about it. My friends don't know about it. My manager, my business owner, my leaders, none of them know about it or they'd be talking about it. Isn't it interesting that, for example, this is not, I'm not a big, huge fan of this, but I do study it. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that sales professionals use words to communicate, but don't study linguistics? or NLP, some of them do. But I can walk into a room of 50 people, have you heard of this? Not me. I'm like, what do you do, dog? You in sales? Yeah. What do you study? What do you mean? I'm not in school. What? <laughs> I'm not in school. What do you study? So I became a fierce study, a fierce study. Not only did I have to leave the beautiful home that I was leasing that year, but I also got evicted from an apartment soon after. And here I am five years ago, five years before this point, living in my car. And I found myself pushing my mattress down the curb. Damn. 
to go put it in storage. How am I going to explain this to my family, to my mother? Luckily, my mother and my father were very understanding. But it was the pain of, of letting myself down and letting everybody else down that made me feel like never again. this will never happen again. How? It will never happen again. I have to become a full-time student. People think that I'm on the road just coaching people. I'm like, dude. You guys only see me when I'm teaching. You don't see me when I'm learning. I wake up in the morning, dude. I used to put on some what, hip hop. What, what time do you wake up? Uh, about five. Five in the morning? About five. So you put on some hip hop. I used to put on music, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm getting in the bathroom, get myself pumped up, put my suit and tie on. And I still do that. <clears throat> but now I wake up and I think, shit, what if something came out? What if some new research came out that I'm not aware of and somebody else gets a hold of it before me and then my, my clients don't hear about it and now I'm not fulfilling my responsibility. What if there's something out there right now that I need to learn and I'm not learning it? What a different mindset than waking up and going, let me play some music. Yeah. So my friends get frustrated when they get in the car because the radio is never on. Why? What am I listening to when I'm driving? Books. Books or podcasts or other material that I may have paid for or subscribed to or bought <clears throat> because it's cutting edge. And we're on the topic of sales and all these things. You know, I haven't read a sales book in 12 years. So what are you reading? Psychology? So I stopped reading sales books for two reasons. If you understand economic velocity, it means that all sales training is valuable and may work. But if you want to be in a domination mindset, you have to take into consideration that if it was written more than three to five years ago, it's outdated. It's probably outdated. Just like online marketing. You can't use the same algorithms and properties and things that you do today. Yeah. <clears throat> the mechanisms are different. There's a lot of fundamentals that are still the same in human behavior, but the technique, the strategies, the language, and the word patterns have to constantly evolve, have to constantly evolve. And almost every company I visit has the right intentions. They wanna help the people grow. They want, they want the people to make money, but the sales training is being conducted by a manager or somebody who was successful in the business years ago. Years ago. Yeah, okay. This is how we've always done it. Oh yeah? Look what happened to Toys R Us. Look what happened to Sears. Kmart, yeah. <laughs> like, how ignorant do you have to be to say that? Like, are you living under a rock, dude? Yeah. You see what's going on right now, right? So <clears throat> I tell people, I need to redo the script. And they're like, dude, we just worked on it two weeks ago. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, listen to the calls. Listen to the conversations. Do you hear the customer's tonality get uncomfortable at this point? Yeah. Watch. Stay with me. Give it 60 seconds. You're going to object to something. They're gonna hit you with one of those, what about this, what about that? Why well, don't wanna move forward? Because they already experienced <clears throat> it before. I'm listening. And what you're doing is you're teaching people to rebuttal once it happens. What you need to do is rewind and find out what triggered it to happen. Gotcha. Wow. What triggered it to happen? Probably a sales pattern. So where do people now, now where do people go and learn more about you and more about your sales systems? 
Um, the easiest place to hit me up is on Instagram. Everybody loves Instagram. It's quick. You can message. And what's your Instagram? Instagram is Joe Coach. J O E Coach. J O E Coach. Yeah. Joe, man, this interview has been powerful. Yes. We yeah, we we dive, we dived in a little bit about your past. Right, a little bit. But we also really had an inside look in your mind and got to understand what your domination yeah, yeah. sales system really looks like. Right. And how someone can go from a little taste, a little teaser mm -hmm. of how someone can go from eight percent to forty percent sure. from opportunity to close, man. Sure, and it's important before we close out to, to tell our audience that this applies to you if you're not in sales. You need to level up faster. You need to make learning normal again. You need to cut, set aside time to learn. Just like you set aside time for dinner. Mm -hmm. Just like you set aside time for your children. Just like you set aside time for your gym or your yoga or your Netflix. You need to set aside time because chances are over the next three to five years, your skills may not be as valuable as they are today. Wow. And you will be not worth, be worth as much value to our economy. So stop blaming politics and news stations and taxes and healthcare and realize that you get paid what you're worth. Get it? Got it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on yeah, the show, Joe. Thank you so much. You.